Nothing to forgive, is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Since we have a new person, let's everyone introduce himself. I'm Kim. And Nancy, who are you? Oh, I'm Nancy. <laughs> and Donna, who are you? I am Donna. I live in Austin. <laughs> and Milan? Hello. My name is Milen. Nice to meet you. And Shi Li. Shi Li? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite new. I have seen you a few times. Um, and I've been, I've been coming from Austin Zen Center. The timing has not been a match. So, but I decided, I decided um, I'm having some extra time, semester is ending, so I'm <laughs> committed to try again more. Are you a teacher? Yes. And what do you teach? I teach at a, uh, teach chemistry at, a, at Laredo College. Oh, great, great. Okay, and uh, let me share, and tell me if the, the font is big enough for you. Is this good or do you want it bigger? This one is good. Bigger or good? It's good. What does that mean? Good? <laughs> okay. It's good. <laughs> okay, we read in alphabetical order. And so, uh, Donna, are you first? Looks like it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nothing to forgive. One oh, wait, wait, uh, Shuli, um, you, you know, this is Joko Beck. And do you know anything about her? What can we say about Joko no. Beck? Joko Beck was one of uh, our teacher, an Appomattox teacher. She uh, worked for a long time in um, San Diego. She was both uh, transmitted in Renzai and in Soto Zen. And it became, I, it, she's kind of known because she, um, she went her own way after being very formally trained. And you'll, she'll use the word very rarely like Buddhism in her, she talks about practice, but not necessarily Buddhism. And um, one of her books, I think, is one of the most sold books on Buddhism. So uh, we've, um, in different places, we've read all her books now. And th this book just came out, and it was, uh, even though she passed away 10 years ago, it's based on, her daughter put it together based on her talks. <laughs> okay, Donna, sorry. Nothing to forgive. One way to tell if your true self is emerging is that you feel an increasing desire for life to go well for more and more people. This may not look any different from the outside. It doesn't help you look good, but you generally find, genuinely find that your focus is less on your strategy less on keeping tally on the wrongs that have been done to you and more on a genuine concern for the well-being of the world. 
And then I think I'm next. Most of us have met forgiveness that feels forced or for show. I forgive you because I want you to see what a good person I am. If you've ever experienced that, it's enough to turn you off for the whole, from the whole work. However, genuine forgiveness without any of that phoniness in it is what our practice is all about. <coughs> if, if you want to know how practice is coming along, look at where you draw the line between that which you can forgive and that you can't. Now, there are some things that feel clearly unforgivable. Rape. Murder. murder molesta molestation, mistreatment for people or animals. There is, not there is no question that those things are wrong and horrible and that no one should have to experience them. You don't have to like a person to like what they do. That's not the question. The question is, how much is there that you can forgive? Maybe just hearing that word, forgiveness, <clears throat> excuse me, forgiveness brings up resentment and anger in some of us. But if there is even one person we can't forgive, our practice is just infertile. This may seem harsh, but it's true. Oh, I think the word's infantile. Oh, infantile. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, let me review that. But if there is even one person we can't forgive, our practice is still in, infantile. 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 Infant four, four syllables. Oh, infantile. Infantile. Yeah. It, it means like, like that of a child, an infant. You know the word infant, yes. a baby. Uh -huh. Not developed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, infantile. Oh, I see. It's a adjective of that word. Then it may seem harsh, but it's it may seem harsh, but it's true. If we can't forgive someone, it's our way of staying separate from them. I could never do that. I must be a better person than that. We hold on to our feeling of super superiority. We are on beginners, including me. If there's anything that keeps me awake at night, it's the people I can't forgive. I can't stop working on that. You know, it seems easy to forgive when we like realize that we were wrong. Like you accuse someone of uh, breaking something and then you realize that it wasn't broken or someone else did it. But when they're totally opposite of what you believe, you know, they did, then that's much harder, isn't it? Yeah. Am I next? Yes. So where do we begin? I suggest you, you practice with such fierceness that you can perhaps forgive the next person on your list of people who did you wrong. It may be somebody who is dead, someone who is in your family, or someone you have never met. But for every person you can truly forgive, your core belief is we can a little bit. And you come a step closer to forgiving yourself. It talks so close to my 
<laughs> my head <laughs> something, something about my family i always try to forgive <laughs> i think we all have trouble forgiving some people in our family don't we since I, that's the hardest one compared to strangers <laughs> and how about ourselves that's a hard one too isn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah right and it, you know it seems like humans are the only um animal that has this problem too <laughs> of forgiveness yeah Okay, uh, who's reading next, Donna? Don't try and rush into forgiving someone for the sake of moving forward. I have two people left on my list who really stand out. I've been working on forgiving one of them for many, many years. Their name has faded on that list. The potency is a lot different than it was, but I've still got a long way to go. It doesn't matter whether we have a little or a long way to go. It just matters that we practice. So ask yourself where you draw the line. What will you and what what will you and will you not forgive? Do you draw the line at anyone who criticizes you unfairly? Sometimes we draw the line at the partner who had an affair, the friend who stole, the colleague who cheated. Usually our parents are somewhere on our list, (laughs) even if we pretend they're not. I have, uh, there's someone who um, kind of did something pretty mean to me. And what keeps going through my mind, if I forgive them and saying, you know, no problem, whatever, that they'll keep doing it, that it's someone who repeatedly hurts people like that. Um, so that that's something I know on my mind. Who is on your list? Who can reach a point in practice where things are used to bother you, no longer bother you as much? That's wonderful. Forgiveness practice goes deeper. We can't even imagine at first the depth of the endeavor it takes everything we have for all for all of our life we don't forgive for other people's sake we do it for ourselves eventually we get more and more joy out forgiveness certainly other people may get something from your practice but you don't do this practice so that you can say i forgive you And this is also something I've been thinking about, this idea that that um, she seems to be suggesting that it's good to get to the point where less things bother you. But how about when people are getting hurt? Should you know, is, is should you be bothered by that? What do you think, Donna? Well, yes, but you know, are you going to be um... You know, part of the Buddhist practice, particularly the Brahma-viharas, is cultivating equanimity um, so that you, you know, with equanimity, hopefully you will be able to find a proper way to um, face, you know, what someone is doing and, and perhaps 
um, skillfully resolve it. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the appropriate response. I was looking at it. Uh, oh, someone chatted. Um, yeah, it's okay. Okay. She'll be back. <laughs> um, this morning, the wind started blowing and all these leaves started coming down from the tree, but they came mostly down from, it seemed from the top of the tree and the top of the tree was almost bare and then there were a lot of leaves lower. And I was thinking about how equanimous that tree was losing all its leaves. And probably there was, you know, not having any accusation to the wind. Hey, you know, you're taking all my leaves away. Okay, nothing to kill, no one to kill it. Who's reading? I think it's my turn. Okay. Okay, my screen has to be clean. Nothing to kill and no one to kill it. One of the oldest Buddhist precepts is do not kill. When we practice long enough, we begin to understand that there is nothing to kill and no one to kill it until we, we can see that even dimly, the shadow of the core belief will still be on our life. When I say nothing to kill and no one to kill it, I don't mean something esoteric. It means having a mind and body that are open to everything. You can measure your dedication to your practice by the length of your list of people who have left to forgive. You have left to forgive, right? Left. Yeah. The more you practice, the shorter the list. The simplest way to look at your practice is the length of your list. Is your list getting shorter? When your list gets a shorter, more space is opened up. You can hold more and more. And we're seeing, um, or we're more aware, especially in this time, where there's people who, who list includes uh, whole groups of people, right? As opposed to just people they know. Mm. Uh, Donna. I'm sorry, can you repeat that idea, please? Oh, well, there's there's people like who, you know, whose list might include people of a certain color, for example, or people of a certain gender or people of a certain, uh, you know, preference or mm -hmm. people who who are in favor of abortion or or, you know, or not. So, so uh, you know, it's it's so easily to you know to move into that thing where where you're not going to forgive half the people in the United States, wherever you are, because they don't agree with you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for asking. Okay, the precept is that where we are? Mm-hmm. The precept is do not kill, but in a literal sense, we can't walk across the floor without killing many hundreds of thousands of tiny organisms. 
We can't live for 10 minutes without killing other organisms. We can't eat a meal without killing lots and lots of organisms. We are killers. Everything has to pay so that we can live. Forgiving ourselves. We think that as we go through our list, we're forgiving another person, but we're really forgiving ourselves. Our core belief is set up to defend ourselves. If we get hurt, we're as angry as we are with the other person for hurting us, we are usually the most angry with ourselves. With each person we can forgive, we loosen just a little bit that negative belief we have about ourselves. So the more we practice, the less resentment we have. I have a dear friend whose child is seriously ill. It is tempting to be angry at life for this child's illness. I can say that I myself will never forgive, forgive it. But in the end, there's just the situation. There's no need, need for resentment. For one thing, there isn't something called life that be, to be angry at. For another thing, we are all dying. There is no doubt about it. Is that a reason to feel that life is being harsh? Should we forgive it? I'm using the word forgiveness, but the practice I'm talking about includes any of the emotions that come up in the response to the harshness of what seems to be life yeah and for some people it's they have to um they have difficulty forgiving god when something <laughs> happens to them or the jews had trouble with the holocaust with with you know still believing because why would god do that they, they asked okay the gayless gate when we practice we develop a basic vision which gets stronger over time as to who we are and what we're really doing in our life. When I say a vision, I don't mean something mystical. I mean acknowledging who you are and what you want to do next. We have found that most human beings, particularly Western race human beings, feel fundamentally they worthless, really worthless unless they, we've been practicing for a long time or are extraordinarily lucky in how we were brought up in the world. Most of us feel this. We have our own little quotes that give our, give our sense of worthlessness, a personal flavor and style, but that's what it is. We don't want to feel worthless. We don't even want to hear or know about it. It's very, very painful to feel that you worthless or unlovable. That feeling creates, creates a running tension that we may be unaware of until we see. And then it all comes out. Is that my turn? Yes. 
sorry. Suppose I am covering this core belief in my own unworthiness by being very sweet and helpful, always available for others. What does that feel like? Just stop and feel it. Chances are high that there is fear and anger in all that sweetness. Most of us don't need to go looking for this core belief as if it's something well hidden. It's what you can become aware of every second if you stop and sit, pay attention, something is there. Life is never hidden because you're living your life through, um, through, your, through this body every second. It's always right here and right now. You don't have to ask, what does Joko mean by that pain? Where is it? The minute you stop thinking, the thinking is covering the pain. And the minute you stop doing, the doing is covering the pain. You feel it. It's not always dramatic. That's why sitting is so important. As you turn away from your thoughts and get back into the body, you're experiencing your own core pain. It's never hidden. It's always right here. As, and as we sit, as we develop the power and sensitivity to watch those thoughts cascade around, we learn an enormous amount about ourselves. <coughs> we begin to sense, if we haven't already, the enormous pervading tension inside us. Though we may not have noticed, it has been there for as long as we can remember. And I've been, um, I was thinking the other day, like if you go to the grocery store, you can see it in other people, can't you? <laughs> that tension? No one's going to agree? Okay. Donna, can you see it? Yeah, was that a yes or a cough? <laughs> Getting friendly with suffering. <laughs> Who's reading? Me, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, is that the beginning? Yeah. When when we are able to notice, well, I think, them. yeah. See, yes. Okay. It should uh, have been indented. It seems. Okay, go on. I am, I'm sorry. I'm lost. Where Where is the paragraph? The top. You're right. At the top. Thank you. When we are able to notice and remain aware of the suffering within us, a crucial ability grows. That crucial ability is just to be in the pain and feel it as a physical sensation. Rather than fighting with our pain or thinking it shouldn't be there, we, be, we begin to get friendly with it. At first, we may be able to do that for just a second or two. Finally, we can be with it for 10 seconds. Very slowly, that ability just keeps increasing. And why could we want to do that? What's the point? 
Why good anybody out up on the nice things you could think of to pay attention to? Choose to pay attention to pain. You could be eating an ice cream sundae or taking a nice sunbath. Why could we choose to do something that is, from our point of view at least, not pleasant? The answer gets clearer as we see. It's much easier to ignore it, isn't it? Or at least we think it is. Yeah. This yeah. reminds me of, um, I, I think I have a friend ask me, why don't you live as normal people? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like. And how did you answer that? <laughs> how did you answer that? At that time, I just laughed. I did not um, really answer. But now, think back, I just think that seems like Yoko Bat is answering that question for me. Because, because it's, um, well, why, why, what do you think she's saying? I think it's, okay, one of the answers I can say is, you can see it and you will see. But another one, I think, if we want to say clearer is, I don't want to be caught up in those emotions and feelings. Like, even though we ignore it, but it's still there. And the more we ignore it, the more we will <laughs> be caught of it. And like, yeah, yeah. Like after you eat, after finishing an ice cream, the bad feeling will come back, right? And if it even worse. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I agree. So uh, who's reading? This is your turn, Shaylee. It's me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At first, we are tempted to go off into different directions in our thoughts to talk about being spiritual or to analyze ourselves. I'm not saying we don't need to have some understanding, but the point is finally not that. The point is to return to what we have been avoiding all our life. When we can just be the little quivering self, that's there in the core of us, the transformation begins. When we are finally able to experience that, which we do not even want to know about, that's the gateless gate. Sometimes I feel like I understand what she's saying, but then I am all clouded. <laughs> Um, as we, ex and as well, we I think that's really important. You know, I mean, I feel that too, that, you know, sometimes you know something intellectually, but to really do it is different, isn't it? Yeah. Is that what you mean by being all clouded? Yeah. Yeah. I know sitting is important. And then all these chores, all these 
good goals that sometimes i think hard working being disciplined is a good goal but then too much things comes in the plate and there is no time to see it is it an excuse yeah <laughs> that's why i keep on trying and then when i read again this and hear good people like i am have to make time okay donna yeah through, throughout this book she's been making the point that sitting is the most important thing um the uh, and she's right i mean i'm i'm like you that there are times when it's just like there's too much i can't i can't um but then when i i get back to it you know it's just like of course of course you know this is what what keeps me on an even keel um you know it's so easy to be blown about without sitting every day so you know keep at it <laughs> give it your best shot can i share something uh, this is what I just uh, learned. They call, they call it like five second rule. It's like you apply it when you want to do something, but you keep um, like try to progress, um, procrastinate it. So at the moment, you know that you need to do it and you're about to um, like run away from it. Just try that, like cow back, cow back from five to one. And then go do it. <laughs> it sounds simple, but uh, actually, I try it and it works very well. Because I, like your mental, um, because usually we count from one to five, right? It's very natural. But when you count back work, it kind like it stops you from wanting to do the thing that you want to do i mean like yeah so it stopped you from the desire or like clinging at that time and now you know the, the thing you need to do you just get it <laughs> well, like i'm gonna that. test it out yeah test yeah. it Me okay. too. <laughs> if i could make it from five to one that's the <laughs> okay well it's interesting you know even that brief period of time you you know you've switched your mind is switched from you know wanting you know sort of that dilemma and you're do actually doing something you know you're counting backwards which takes a little more concentration than you know going one to five and i could see where that might be just enough to be able to you know it's like pushing a reset button that that you know I'm going to try that. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> I wonder if it also activates a different part of your brain from the impulsive one to the more thinking one. Because you can't, with the impulsive brain, you can't count backwards, maybe. Maybe. So, so the main idea, Nancy, is that I couldn't understand. Well, if you're in the middle of something, and then you want to change, you go from five to one? Is that what you do? 
Um, no, mainly. So let me give an example. Like, if you want to wake up early, and you set an alarm, and when the alarm uh, when uh, um goes off, usually if you you will have some thoughts in your mind that oh it's still so early now let's turn it now uh, let like before ten more minutes or fifteen more minutes, but with this at the moment when you hear the alarm ring, just count backward five four three two one then say go and then just sit up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. I also, um, Colin Gibson, who uh, used to be at the Austin Zen Center years ago, and I think he's head of the San, San Antonio Zen Center now. Um, he told me once that what he does is he puts the alarm clock on the other side of the room. So to turn it off, he had to get up and you know take several steps and then turn it up and then you know he was up so then he could go on and do what he had to do and that has worked very well for me over the years so. <laughs> let me tell you i did the same so uh, i got up and then i turned off the alarm and then i went back to sleep <laughs> <laughs> Getting up early is not easy, that's for sure. So, yeah. And, you know, sitting every day uh, can be difficult too. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's like having, you know, it it's, seems like it's easier when you've got a set time that you sit every single day because then you just go and do it. Um, but, you know, when your day kind of gets ragged or a little spiraling out of control, it's hard to, you know, stop and just do it. So I think I think your counting backwards from five to one will really help on those days that spiral out of control. <laughs> Maybe I'll be able to um, get back on track. So thank you. You're welcome. At least it works for me to wake up early. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it just, if I, you know, I get up at five now and sometimes it's really hard, but I've discovered that if I want to do, you know, do Buddhist studies or, you know, anything like that, I've got to do it first thing in the morning because otherwise, you know, the day just presents me with all these other things I need to do and I just rarely get back to it. Or if I do, it's in the evening and I'm too tired and it, you know, doesn't stick. So um, let's hear it for early rising. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, and as we experience that core, it changes. Slowly we dissolve this false idea we have of ourselves that we're worthless, that we're nothing. We are going through a gate that no longer exists. Well, this is a really interesting take on the gateless gate, um, which is the name of one of the, the great uh, Zen koan collections. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of speculation. What is the gateless gate? And this, um, I can't say that I've ever known, but this is an interesting idea to kind of pair up with, with the gateless gate, that it's a gate that doesn't exist in the first place. 
so well except in our minds right 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 you know and um we also have the gateless barrier which is the same thing right mm -hmm. just a different translation of whatever that term is The great realization. Perhaps you think all this this self stuff I'm talking about is fine, but you came to a Zen practice looking for great awakening. <coughs> what does this have to do with real practice? What is the great realization? I could answer great realization of what? If you're looking for awakening, you're looking for something to wrap up, wrap up and look at. And you can wrap up and look at it because it's yourself. And you, the more you can't, right? Mm -hmm. You can't wrap it up, yeah. yeah. Because it's so close to you, maybe, mm -hmm. that you can't see it. Oh, go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah because it's yourself yes the more your life experience develops and refine refines this kind of clarity the more you realize realize awakening isn't something you look for it's something you are it will be perfectly clear to you that awakening is finally nothing but being largely free of this self-centered dream that we cook up as long as you think something is going to save you you stop if you're thinking if only my partner were different or if only i have just the kind of work i really mean to do then you're in the sticky stuckness whatever it is as long as you believe that you can't get unstuck Did me next? Yes. A student was telling me about a small experience she had recently of getting a little unstuck. She was driving and stopped at an intersection to let another driver turn in. He had been waiting a long time and she slowed down to let him in. And he very irritably waved her on because he wanted to go across three lanes instead of one. And right away, she moved from this benevolent generosity to how dare you decline my kindness. And then right under that was, oh my God, I have been sitting 20 years. I have just come out of sitting and I'm still like this. And then it went down another notch. It was, it's hopeless, I'm hopeless. And then suddenly there was a, there, there was a sinking feeling of like an elevator shaft broke and she thought, oh, it's possible to practice here. By that time, the person behind was honking. There is no point in life 
where we don't have this stuff going on. It's not, uh, that's not the bad thing. It's not that you're going to reach some point where, where you become a saint, so-and-so. Very few people are completely unstuck, but you know there's a tremendous difference between being all the way stuck and being unstuck 50%. Even 50% unstuck is 50% free. Okay, what do you think? Should we read one more? Yeah, that is the last one before the next part. So I think. Okay. Well, we still got a paragraph or so on this one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So three more paragraphs, I think. It should oh, that's be. what she's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. In and out. Who? Who? Uh, in and out of spaciousness. The minute you enter the experiential, you've moved into another world. Yeah. So I, as we read the last one, um, I was thinking, Donna, about, um, so you choose to sit or not to sit, but actually the challenge doesn't end there, right? I mean, you, you, oh, can, right. Do, you can do the practice with whatever happens to you. Right, you know. and, 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 you know, it's incredibly valuable, but sitting is really valuable too. Yes, it is. <laughs> Yep. And you notice things afterwards, like, I don't think I would have noticed the leaves blowing off the tree and how the leaves were, you know, the tree was completely bare at the top and not if I hadn't been sitting. And then looking out the window and, and I could really feel the, the wind and the and the leaves and so forth. The minute you enter the experiential, you've moved into another world. This is when practice really becomes Zen practice, when it helps us increase the spaciousness. We can keep increasing it until the day we die. There's no end to that kind of growth. We're all babies. We're just doing something, but it's an exciting way to live. This is the part of sitting where we begin. Excuse me. This is a part of sitting where we begin to know I am not my body and mind. I have a body and mind, and they're important. I take good care of them, but that's not who I am. That's where we enter. Who we are is spacious and limitless. This is the gateless gate. Uh, can, can, can you read for me, please? I can pay more attention if someone else reads and I just oh, be quiet. Okay. Thank you. Nancy? Okay. Of course, we don't just get to stay and hang out in the spaciousness. There's not some magic place you get to, and then that's it. You're done. It's not like we're enlightened. We arrive, and we now just get to hang out in enlightenment. We don't do it that way. We get a little spaciousness, and then the next moment, we arrive back in our core belief snapping at our kids or stretching about work. It's not that easy for human beings, especially in Western culture, where there is almost constant pressure to let you, your core belief leave. Shall I finish the last paragraph? Yes, please. One, 
one of the great misconceptions of Western meditation practice is the idea that you are suddenly enlightened. Forget it. It's true that if you practice regularly, you probably become very different. Though you probably look more ordinary than ever, but even with regular practice, you will likely be unreasonable and lose your temper and stuff like that. The idea of practice isn't for us to get to a point where we float above everything. The idea is for us to practice so we can fully live, each one of us. It doesn't matter where you are. There is not some virtue attached to It's only a matter of in intention for your own life. And as you spend more time residing in your experience, the intention itself will change and change and change and change. This is so good. <laughs> this is... Do you see the habit of, um, seems like she food, she tends to food like four, four instead of like uh, the rule of three, right? Repeating three times, but seems like she, she tends to say four or five sometimes. <laughs> Repeating. Yeah, so what I have a question. What what do you think she's she says she means when she says reciting in your experience at the end? Yes. Oh. I feel like staying, I mean, no, no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I think the alternative to be to residing in experience is to be in your head, to, be, to, to not be aware of what's actually happening or what you're doing. That's when I start breaking glasses and I'm taking them out of the dishwasher. Because <laughs> I'm not there in my... Yeah, I'm somewhere else. <laughs> I think that if Gail were here, Gail would say um, that residing, you're residing in your body, that you have, there's an awareness of your body, where it is in space, what it's doing. And at the same time, your mind is also present. It's not, you know, off in the past or thinking about the future that both body and mind are here in the present moment. And we get to practice that, you know, very closely when we meditate. But then, you know, that that's, you know, well, we know how hard that is even in meditation, but, um, you know, at least we get to experience it somewhat there. And residing, what did she say it was residing? residing in your experience yes thank you residing so uh being able to carry that awareness of body and mind in the present uh that i think is what she's talking about about residing in experience it's your all of you is in the here and now and not um you know not off elsewhere <laughs> Thank you. You know that question, like, where are you? 
<laughs> you know, like you can you can kind of be somewhere but not be there. And yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, write or draw or whatever for ten minutes and then come back at eight eleven. So free writing, uh, free writing now. We don't have any. Yes. Well, okay. we could reside in our experience. That would be a good one. <laughs> where Where are you? Where, where are you? Sure. Am I going to have to share? Yeah, maybe. Can you go first? Okay, I will share. <laughs> I left my aluminum foil wrapped taco on the picnic table to get my coffee. When I returned, a grackle had made a <laughs> hole in the foil and was enjoying my lunch. I thought I was safe now since my day was already ruined. Or so I thought. The grackle then pooped on my father's favorite shirt that I was wearing. But having just sat for two hours, I thought, no problem. But this grackle, having no forgiveness, pooped on my pants. It was my lucky day to practice forgiving one loving but hungry grackle. And then I did a drawing of the grackle that I will show you. Here we go. This is at Cherrywood. You know Cherrywood, don't you, Donna? Mm -hmm. uh, so where's the grackle? There we go. Oh. <laughs> this is the grackle. I didn't know that they would they would go right through aluminum foil. Oh yeah, they got a big beak. <laughs> well, but how did they know? How did they know? They're smart. <laughs> <laughs> they have a hive mind. <laughs> One grackle learns and they all have it before long. Yeah, so I made out like I was more composed about this whole thing. I think it it was bothering me more than even with the sitting. Well, on the other hand, you know, there is that old bit of folklore about if if you know you uh like what the grackle did to your pants and your and your father's shirt is a sign that um you know good fortune is coming your way i mean in your case it's double good fortune you know it's kind of rare to get triple that. triple triple oh okay so three times good the fortune. pants the shirt and the taco <laughs> so you know you could think of it as a uh you know it's a message. It just depends on how you choose to interpret it, I suppose. So it's it was, um, you know, if it seems too good to be true, it is. Well, there's this one picnic table under a tree at Cherrywood outside, and it was empty. And I thought, oh, I'm so fortunate finding this empty table. <laughs> and I think that was part of the problem. Oh, well. <laughs> so who else has a story of forgiveness or something? 
I, I want to ask you, where is Cherrywood? I don't know where it is. Is it a, a park? No, Cherrywood is a, a little uh, restaurant uh -huh. and it's on uh, 38th Street, uh, right, right east of thir uh, Highway 35. And uh, different times, they have music there, and they also have yoga there. I don't know if they still do yoga, but they have wonderful tacos. <laughs> we, we used to go from the Aust from uh, Apamata every Friday morning after Zazen and have there. But we did it on uh, Sunday, I think. Thank you. Okay. I will keep that in mind and try it next time. <laughs> oh, yes. You need to come to Austin. So with your two hours of sitting, is that for Rohatsu? No, it was just Sunday morning program. Well, oh, okay. So it wasn't you know, today. One and a half periods, and then we had the Dharma talk. Mm. Well, I guess I'll go next. Okay. Uh, I, let's see. I guess I wrote about that last, or last couple sentences. Um, there is not some virtue attached to sitting. It's only a matter of your intention for your own life. And as you spend more time residing in your own experience, the intention itself will change and change and change and change. So I, I was pondering on the intention. And, you know, was the intention changing, you know, moment by moment, which I think maybe is sort of what she's talking about. Um, you know, your intention uh, at Cherrywood is like, oh, there's a table, I can sit, you know, you've got this intention. And then, you know, you put your, your taco down to hold the table and run off to get your drink. And, you know, that, that's your next intention, you know, so the, the intention really is changing every moment. Um, you know that maybe maybe an example for me would be you know i've got got this work project and you know i am intending to start on it now but then you know oops here comes a, a slack message and somebody wants me to do something else so you know it's these intentions change but um i was thinking that maybe you know there's a an overarching intention um that might um, that I think that I tend to carry more than, you know, this constant shifting around. And my sort of overarching intention is to respond appropriately in the moment, you know, whether that means that, you know, I'm, I'm ready to buckle down and get to work on this project. And then it's like, oh, here comes something else. Um, and so rather than, um, you know, wasting time about being irritated or trying to shift gears. It's like, oh, this is this is apparently what needs to be taken care of. So I am responding to trying to respond appropriately in the moment to these different um, requests. I guess you could say that life is putting before me. <laughs> Excuse me, that um, the cedar is really getting to me. So. I had a teacher who used to ask us, what was our ultimate concern? Mm. And I wonder how that compares with intention or the bigger, 
it seems you were suggesting a bigger intention rather than being going to get coffee or getting yeah. a table or or yeah. sort of you know it, it's like a, a practice concern that you can you know some you know a practice thing that you can carry out into the world um and that it it helps it's kind of like that counting backwards to five it's it's a, a way of pausing and reflecting for a moment you know that hmm what's the appropriate way to respond here instead of just leaping right on you know leaping and responding just out of the gate because um i oftentimes don't respond that well so did you, did, I, need, I need to pause and reflect did you send this bird to wake me up no mm -mm. no somebody else did no. <laughs> but you know who knows the causes and conditions that came into play in that moment you know <laughs> who knows how far out you can trace that grackle and no one saw no one saw where where it it landed on my pants and then i hung it over the the washing machine and told my wife i i said i put my you know because of the bird and and then afterwards i said well did you see it and she said no no i just washed it <laughs> so maybe this whole story i just made up too <laughs> i have no witnesses And, and so what would that say about your intention, that you just want a good story? Um, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a bad dream. It was a bad dream, or a dream at least. Well, you, you managed to get some good content out of it, and I, I suspect mm -hmm. that we will see this grackle on Instagram sometime yeah. in the next few days. Yeah. <laughs> okay next okay I, i'll go next i i just uh rewrite some of the reading ideas to try to to understand and kind of make make them mine uh these ideas of well i will read um being sent is to increase this spaciousness. So I was trying to understand that. And um, then the text says, the gateless gate is to know that we are spacious and limitless. To understand we are not our body and mind. mind. We have those, but we are not those. We entered them to be spacious and limitless. Awakening is something we are. It's being largely free of this self-centered dream that we lived in. The closest experience I have of those is walking by myself in the forest during a beautiful day. Get free of the time. So I was trying to understand what Joko was saying when talking about spaciousness and limitless. I think I get to understand more limitless than spaciousness 
but then I remember when I feel when I walk at the forest and I made that connection. Thank you. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. So, what do you think about that, about that idea of uh, limitless and spaciousness that she talks about? Well, the the intention that Donna's talking about seems to be limitless and spaciousness, as opposed to the small intention of, you know, getting coffee, getting a table, getting. It, it just kind of elevates us into this other world where, or or Joko Beck talked about how we're we're. Uh, Was it her when when Gail was channeling? I mean, when Donna was channeling Gail about about not being aware of uh, the body mind thing. Um, you know, we keep going. At least I keep going back and forth between between these very uh, mundane kind of things in life and then the mu much bigger spacious stuff that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. You know, when I looked out at the tree and I saw the leaves flying all through the air and, and, and thinking about how equanimous the tree was losing its leaves, it didn't care. And this is just what it does. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Lots of leaves on the ground. And we have uh, what limitless job to do every day after we swap it. The next day will be a lot of leaves again. Mm -hmm. Shelly, would you like to share? Since we only have four minutes, I don't think two of us can go. So I, I could I could make it very quick. I was just constantly <clears throat> struggling with myself. Is that there are always um, uh, you guys are started talking big intentions, small intention, big decisions, small decisions. I always struggle. I have so much things to do. Is um, in in when this practice we see it, we talk. We, I understand this. This by practicing it helps us. But but um, you know sometimes like I I have written down like I have I want to do things for my grand grandkids granddaughter and grandson. Um, I spent time with them last five six years. But I want to do do <laughs> I want to get prepared for them. I want to be ready for them. I take too many things in my in my plate to do. The, the so the, you know my retirement's gonna come and what shall I give it up and go to my kids? Uh, those big decision is such a burden. I don't know. I I if I think for myself, I can just leave with my social security. <laughs> but I just feel like you know I can do hard work and I can help. What should I give up? Should I be with the kids? It's a big, big decision I can't take. 
I guess it's lucky you don't have to make it yet. You know, you, you've still got time and you can, you know, the kind of take a longer view and, and just see, see what that landscape looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm alleged, supposedly retired, but I'm still working, but I don't have any grandkids either. And my son is still here in town. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy for me, you know, I'm just, just as happy keeping working actually. So, um, you know, the, the just, you know, so much of it depends on, on, on your situation and, you know, the, and expectations, you know, what, you know, what society has, the expectations they have for a retired person and what, you know, your, your, your child, your child or children may have about, you know, their vision for what your retirement is going to be. And, you know, maybe you had, you know, some other idea altogether. So kind of sorting all that out, um, you know, it's, it's just. I wonder what Zoko say things like that about. <laughs> yeah. It's such a luxury, isn't it, that, that you can do that. You know, so, so much of the world population doesn't have those kinds of choices. Truly. No, it's this like it's big base. It's not like that. Um, I mean, luxury to choose. I I struggle. My my I am an immigrant family. I brought my you know I brought brought my brothers, and they all have clean shelter, food, medicine issues still. Right. So I feel like I should work hard and help them or help the nephew and niece so they could have better life. I, I struggle. You have to take yeah. care of yourself, too. Sometimes I do feel I take care of myself too much. <laughs> and there are probably great metaphors within chemistry of all this stuff, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Molecular. Right. Like spaciousness and, you know, as you study atoms and molecules and all the space inside those. Yeah. Chain reactions and, <laughs> you know, things brought together that probably shouldn't. <laughs> I remember one of the suggestions that Pat told me when I have undecidable things like between two things, just like write it down, like on of the pros and cons of two of the things, and then sit with those. And then, yeah, after the sitting, you will know what you should do. And not just one sitting, you know, it's probably going to take, you know, it's going to take time, but um, the somehow if if we we approach it with with openness with care um with compassion for ourselves and with loving kindness for all these other folks that that you you're looking out for um somehow the appropriate response will arise uh, just probably going to take some time.
for it to become clear. But good luck. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We feel like when I sit together, I feel better that, oh, maybe I'm in control. Who will be? <laughs> oh, where none of us are in control. <laughs> but, you know, we, we want to respond as best we can. <laughs> you know, surely, surely. I, I sometimes uh, used to feel overwhelmed with help, with work and stuff and with especially with things like I didn't like to do like I don't know paying taxes or you know like administrative stuff like that yeah. and now I when I have days like those I think uh, uh, I should feel happy because I'm able to pay the taxes you know I'm able to make the payroll so I try to calm down and feel happy because of that. And that helps a lot. Thank you. <laughs> I have a lot of laps to grade and I'm lazy on that too. <laughs> okay, well, thank you everyone. See you next thank week. You. Same time, yeah. same place. Good night. Are you are you uh Lee, are you on our uh, Appamata uh, uh mailing list? I was, but I don't check it, but um I know the Appamata calendar. So okay. I'm looking at and um okay. Monday well, and Wednesday is likely that it will Okay, be if, if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice to see. Bye. Take care.